Welcome to the Modern Merrowman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merrowman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian laypeople will rightly divide the word of truth. Tom, you're still dancing the jig from last time. I just love that song, man. It's fantastic. (laughs) But uh, we've been carrying on a theme here over the last few episodes on the gospel and the importance of distinguishing uh, here between the gospel uh, narrowly uh, or strictly versus uh, broadly, uh, as as well as imputation and infusion of righteousness and, and what that means, the difference between gospel promises and gospel implications and, and how all of this connects then to the law and the gospel. Um, but w- an area that I wanted to delve a little bit more into that, that you've already mentioned is how faith, repentance, and the gospel relate to each other. Uh, yeah. For many people, um, faith and repentance are part of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and the idea of, of saying that they're not the gospel seems odd <laughs> at best yeah. or dangerous and her- heretical at worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so maybe go in a little bit more into how we should recognize the, the faith and the repentance that, that uh, we bring to connect it with the gospels we've been discussing. Yeah. Well, if they've been listening to our previous podcasts and you see that faith and repentance are promises of the gospel, and they're commands of the gospel largely. So they're promises of the strict gospel and they're commands of the large gospel. But my own faith, my belief, isn't the gospel. My own faith and my own repentance is a response to the gospel. It's my response to the gospel. And one reason that's important to to understand is that the gospel— is about redemption and salvation. And I am not saving myself. You know, my faith isn't, isn't the thing itself that's saving me. God is rather saving me by giving me faith and through my faith. But, uh, so yes, my inherent, any, anything inherent within me is not the gospel. The gospel is objective. It's Mm -hmm. objective promises and the strict gospel and it's objective promises and commands uh, in the large gospel. Right. Well, then, in in what sense, you know, we we, we speak of uh, even before you'd mentioned how the application of the gospel happened historically with uh, the coming of Christ and his active and passive obedience. Right. That's the accomplishment of redemption. Yeah, the accomplishment. The accomplish, of well, I, uh, and uh, yet there's another way in which we talk about the personal application and the covenant of grace when that comes right. to us. Right. So when, when we are united to Christ and our effectual calling, then the gospel strictly, the covenant of redemption is being applied to us in the covenant of grace. Right. And, and so that's such a huge aspect of, of thinking through this. We, the, the gospel is proclaimed uh, through that proclamation of the gospel, the Holy spirit effectually calls us, uh, uh, you know, regenerates us from, from uh, spiritual death to spiritual life, changes our hearts of stone and the hearts of flesh. And, and what we have then at that time is this uh, faith and repentance. So uh, how would you speak of them more 
um, specifically and, and, and how they then relate to one another in this, what takes place in our lives under the, the sovereign and loving hand of the Holy Spirit. Yes, this was a huge issue for the Merriman in the Merrill controversy was the question of whether faith comes before repentance or repentance comes before faith, or more particularly, whether you have to repent before you can have Jesus. And that, that was the heart of the issue. The Merriman were very strong that we cannot have the benefits of Christ apart from Christ. You have to have Jesus before you can have any of his benefits. And the benefits of Christ include every grace, justification, repentance, sanctification, reconciliation to God, and on and on. The Merriman insisted that we receive every saving grace in union with Christ. We shouldn't try to obtain any of Christ's benefits apart from him, and that mm. includes repentance. We shouldn't mm. try to repent before we have Jesus. You just can't do it. And mm. for example, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Yeah. So that that's saying that every blessing of the Holy Spirit comes to us in Jesus. What is the role of the Spirit? He's to take from Christ and bring to us. And when, did, when does that happen? It happens in union with Him. And so consistently with this, the Merriman taught that faith precedes repentance. You cannot come to Christ in faith, uh, or, or rather, you have to come to Christ in faith before you can repent. And that just now, would that sense. be seen as like uh, a chronological thing, a time-based thing that I believe first and then I repent? Or is this more of a logical ordering of well, recognizing these, these in relationship with one another? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not temporal. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't rip. So it's not like I, I have faith first and then like 10 minutes later, no. it's like, oh, now I need to repent, right? No, th so these are bound up together that you're not separating them temporally, but it is also, it's, it's logical, but it's also psychological that mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Christian life, faith is more prominent. And then as you go on beyond faith, repentance becomes more prominent with faith. And so I just, you know, think of this, uh, how can you be sorry for your sins, hate and forsake them, which is repentance, unless you're first trusting in Jesus to save you from your sins. Hmm. How can you do that? How can you turn away from your sin to Jesus unless you're looking to him and you see his beauty that he's worth turning to? Unless you trust who he is, that he's true God, true man, he's made full atonement for sins. How can I turn to him until I, unless I know who I'm turning to and trusting that I'm turning to such a great savior. Mm -hmm. And so psychologically, it's important that first you're not putting off your sins. Although in the process of turning, if you I mean, as your faith turns from idols to Jesus, that's a, already a kind of repentance. If you're going to, you know, dig down into the, the detail of it all. But so the, the, the point that they were trying to make <clears throat> is that you don't tell people that they first need to purify themselves and then after they purified themselves, <clears throat> then they can have Jesus. And that's what's really behind what the Merrow men were talking about, because there were certain kinds of preaching that implied you have to prepare yourself mm. before you can read, receive Jesus. They thought, taught, for example, this is called preparationism, mm. uh, that you have to feel sufficiently guilty under the weight and terror of the law before you can come to Christ for salvation. So, some went as far as to teach and this was at the heart of the marrow controversy that you have to forsake your sin before you can even have Jesus. 
Mm. Uh, but the Merriman understood that you cannot forsake your sin unless Jesus is already your savior. Mm. I mean, part of the way he saves you is by making you forsake your sin. Mm. You have to have him before you can forsake your sin. And this is important practically here. I want to show you why it's practically important yeah. from just a pastoral perspective. Some people are afraid of coming to Jesus because they think that when they come to him, they might disappoint him. Mm. They're not sure they have what it takes to be a Christian and to continue in faith. They don't know if they'll have the strength to really repent of their sins. And so they never come to Christ. But that gets the cart before the horse. And if you're thinking, first, I have to clean myself up. Well, I don't know if I can clean myself up. First, I have to forsake my sin. I don't have the strength to forsake my sin to get Jesus. Mm. So how, So they never come. <clears throat> now, certainly, the Bible teaches we should count the cost of coming to Christ. But we have to come to him and trust him before we can forsake our sins. We have to come to Christ to learn to repent more and more and to grow in holiness. Right. And so, as the Merriman would say, we have— to have Christ before we can have his benefits. So we have to have Christ before we can repent. You know, one of the things that, that um, <laughs> strikes me, the more and more I read scripture is the importance of those two words in the, in the new Testament in Christ, in Christ. Yeah. If you actually like just uh, do a Bible search or Bible study or whatever, looking for that phrase, it's amazing how frequent and how central that whole idea is in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because of exactly what you said. This isn't just a, a you know, kind of a distinct uh, emphasis of the marrow men, but they're That's rightly right. recognizing that central theme of the gospel in Scripture. Well, and Calvin emphasized it as well. So mm. if you want to just think about the Reformed tradition more broadly, Calvin put faith before repentance. And he mm. said that, you know, you believe and then you repent. Of course, Calvin also viewed repentance as the whole Christian life. But faith was first in Calvin's view. And justification and sanctification uh, ran simultaneously from faith as we, mm. as we grasped Christ in union with him. And so union with Christ was central in Calvin as well. So let me try to raise maybe a, a objection of sorts. Um, you know, when you think of there, there are times in the New Testament where there's a gospel call made, you know, the gospel's preached. I mean, the most famous one that's coming to my mind is, of course, the day of Pentecost. You know, Christ is proclaimed. Uh, the people are cut to the heart. They say, what must we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? Uh, he says, repent, <laughs> right? And, and actually, you don't see him say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But he says, repent, every one of you. Uh, and of course, be baptized, right? And and so, so being faithful to Scripture, how do we recognize that truth in a in a, in a call to uh, obey the gospel or or, or come to mm -hmm. Christ, uh, and uh, recognizing this whole idea of the priority of faith when we're looking at faith as the sole instrument, sure, well, of our justification and salvation. You know, you have, that's a great question. You have, first of all, that, that text is disputed. There's all kinds of different views on that text. I want to mm. talk about that in a second. But if you're just talking about the idea, um, you know, John, the apostle John, all through the gospel of John, never mentions repentance, mm. only faith. And other places you see only repentance mentioned. Mm -hmm. 
And so you, they, they entail one another, they yeah. imply one another. And if you think, yeah. if you're talking about repent in its broadest or largest sense, it includes faith, mm-hmm. you know, but if you're going to separate them and separate out the aspect of repentance, that is faith only, which comes first, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you could just say, repent. Right. And if you mean it the way the Bible does, which is first you believe, uh, then then that's fine. But if you're if you're systematically separating them, then repentance comes after faith, uh, in the view of Calvin, in the view of the Merriman. But like, just take the passage you're mentioning in Acts chapter two, it says, and Peter said to well, they asked, um, Acts chapter two verse thirty seven. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Mm-hmm. So they're they're convicted, right? So already something's happening to them spiritually. Mm-hmm. They're cut to the heart. This is not we're going to see. I mean, many do repent later on. Masses. This isn't just that they're they have a legal conviction. This is sincere conviction of sin. Mm-hmm. So the spirit's already working on them. They they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the disciples, "Brothers, what shall we do?" Mm-hmm. And they, I'm sorry, and and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized." every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the, this is a disputed text and maybe not everyone would agree with what I'm going to say here. I don't know how there's different ways to conceive of this, but I think of the four, the, the Greek word for in verse 38 as because of. Mm. So repent and be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. So Peter's basically saying, look unto Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and then on that basis, repent and be baptized. That's how I would understand that text. Mm. Well, that's, I, I think that's helpful. And while there may be different you know, exegetical approaches to this text, as you say, it's disputed. I, I, I think what's helpful, again, we people that are listening to us are finding out how much we love to distinguish, right? But but what's key is distinguishing between uh, sorrow for sin versus repentance, right? Repentance is not merely, I'm sorry for what I've done, That's right? right? Repentance, like you said, it's inseparable from faith. A, a, a repentance is one that recognizes uh, Christ and the forgiveness that, that, that comes uh, when we uh, confess our sins uh, after through His faithfulness, right? Mm-hmm. And and so we need to distinguish between repentance and and uh, you know there, there are many times where uh, especially the Merrimen and, and and others would distinguish between a legal and evangelical repentance. And so, uh, what? How, how do you? How helpful do you find that distinction? as we're discussing these matters? Well, I, I think it's very important um, that there is a, that there is such a thing as a legal repentance and a evangelical repentance. Uh, the Merriman emphasize this a lot. Uh, they, they taught that, that legal repentance is basically feeling guilt for your sins against the law and then forsaking your sins so that you can be forgiven mm. and learning to obey the law so you can have eternal life. Gospel or evangelical repentance, by contrast, 
is godly sorrow for your sin, hating and forsaking it because of Jesus and mm. because of his work on the cross to save you from your sin. Mm. So evangelical repentance is already looking to Jesus by faith. You know he loves you and you repent because you love him back. It's very mm. personal. That's the difference is legal repentance is about your own sin, your own forgiveness, your own turning from sin and your own possession of eternal life. But evangelical repentance is about love to him because he's first loved you. Love to Jesus because he first is personal. So you're not repenting to obtain a grace of Christ in evangelical repentance, like justification or forgiveness. You're not repenting even to obtain Jesus. You're repenting because Jesus is yours, Mm -hmm. because you love him and you want to express your love for him because he loved you first. That's the difference between legal and evangelical repentance. Um, there's also a distinction between legal and uh, evangelical faith. You could we'll go into that a little bit. That That's going to be a new uh, concept to a lot of people, I think. Well, I mean, it's similar because legal mm-hmm. faith trusts. It says, I trust that, that eternal life will be mine if I keep the law. So I'm looking to the promise of eternal life, and I'm trusting that if I obey the law, I'm going to trust the promise to give me life eternal. Uh, that's mm-hmm. legal faith. But right. evangelical faith looks to Jesus personally, and it trusts in him personally for the forgiveness of sin, for complete salvation and life eternal. Right. And so really, when we think about it, then, uh, you know, legal law, evangelical gospel, right? There's a law repentance that looks to the law uh, and my sorrow in disobeying the law and my seeking to try and then, uh, you know, keep the law. Uh, that that uh, is is not a evangelical or a gospel repentance. Yeah, and uh, that they actually keep people from Christ. That's correct. Let me read you the the Baptist Catechism. The, mm. the definitions of repentance and faith in the Baptist Catechism are evangelical definitions. So, uh, question ninety three: What is faith in Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So there you see true faith rests upon Jesus as offered in the gospel. That's evangelical faith. Question 94, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin, and then then it says this, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Hmm does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. And so true repentance, evangelical repentance, acts out of apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. There's no repentance without laying hold of Christ's mercy. And isn't it interesting how even in the Baptist catechism, the order there, what comes first? apprehending the mercy of God in Christ. Well, but in, in the terms of the question and answer, the first question is faith. That's true. That's it's a, a question good about faith. Yeah. And the next question is about repentance. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, when people put together catechisms, they didn't just uh, randomly, yeah, we'll ask a question here and we'll ask a question there, but there's an, there's a structure, there's an order, there's a, and, and, and I think that again points to that priority of faith that comes out here. Do we have time for me to read a short thing out of the marrow? Absolutely. Okay, so this is the Mayor of Modern Divinity. Edward Fisher wrote this, and he's he's talking about false conversion. Mm. And so here's what he writes about false conversion or legal conversion. 
He says, Is it not ordinary when the Lord convinces a man of his sin, either by means of his word or his rod, to cry after this manner, Oh, I am a sinful man, for I have lived a very wicked life, and therefore surely the Lord is angry with me and will damn me in hell. Oh, what shall I do to save my soul? And then Fisher says, And is there not at hand some ignorant, miserable comforter ready to say, Yet do not despair, man, but repent of your sins and ask God's forgiveness and reform your life and doubt not, but that he will be merciful unto you. For he has promised, you know, that when a sinner repents of his sins, he will forgive him. And does the man under conviction not then comfort himself and say in his heart at least, Oh, if the Lord will but spare my life and lengthen out my days, I will become a new man. I'm very sorry that I've lived such a sinful life, but I will never do as I've done for all the world. Oh, you shall see a great change in me. Believe it. And then uh, Fisher goes on and he says, and he takes upon himself a new course of life. And it may be becomes a zealous professor of religion, performing all Christian exercises, both public and private and leaves off his old companions and keeps company with religious men. And so it may be goes on till his dying day. And he thinks himself sure of heaven and of eternal happiness. And yet all this while he is ignorant of Christ and of the righteousness of Jesus and therefore establishes his own. And so that's a huge problem with his conversion. It's a legal conversion. Notice there's no mention of Jesus, no mention of his perfect righteousness, no mention of the redeeming blood or the atoning sacrifice of Christ, of his resurrection, no mention of faith to Christ and love for him, no mention of reconciliation to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all this man is doing is re- reforming his life so he can go to heaven. There's nothing personal to Jesus in it. He's only worried about going to hell. And he wants to be forgiven and he'll do whatever it takes to obtain forgiveness, but he's not come to Jesus. Mm. Amen. And uh, just a scripture verse that comes to my mind. Well, how, why don't we end with this? Uh, the apostle Paul, second Corinthians seven, verse 10 uh, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org. Uh, okay, so here, I mean, here we have this this chorus of men who talk about how foundational the long gospel distinction is and yet how rare it is to to, to talk about these things uh, today in the faith it was uh, part of the fabric of how they thought back right then. and 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 why now it's seen as either optional or just too divisive to delve into or you know like try maybe try to tease that out a it's bit a little secondary ancillary kind of a thing out there that if that's your thing fine but right. or even thought of as lutheran and not reformed right well, and I mean, you know, there's a, you know, the Zondervan counterpoint, you know, series, right? right? There's a bazillion of them, but one of them is five views on the law and the gospel. And, yeah. and, um, I remember a pastor friend of mine, well, now, now we're almost pre <laughs> doing the episode before doing the episode. 